Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. When I was growing up, my dad had a little red cash box that actually looked just like this. Uh, And he used to put it in his room. He would go on the dresser in my parents' room. And uh, it always sat, uh, not like this, not closed or hidden, whatever, but it always sat like, open. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like where it just sits like this. If any of you had a cash box like this before, maybe you use it. What my dad would do is he would walk around and he'd have change uh, and dollar bills, whatever. And so he would just throw it in this cash box over and over at the end of every day. So you can imagine after just a couple weeks that started kind of piling up. So I'm seven or eight years old and I walk into my parents' bedroom one day and I see this cash box and it's sitting on the dresser and I can see it better than the rest of my siblings as the oldest. I can see where it is. I can see the amount of cash that seemed like it was just overflowing out of this thing. And the thought crossed my mind, I'll bet he wouldn't notice. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I bet I could actually get away with this. I bet if I just take one dollar, if I just take one coin or one thing, so I just come over and it's like, I'm not, I'm not intending to steal. I just want to see if there's something worth stealing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just kind of looking through going, okay, see a decent amount of pennies and nickels and dimes, and that would be a quarter. And I knew a quarter was worth most. And so I, I remember like I touched it. I didn't mean to take it, but it was really sticky. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. It was like, that was mine. And I kind of slipped it in my pocket, looked both ways, and I walked out. I acted like nothing ever happened. I went downstairs, stashed it in a drawer. Like, I hid it. I knew it was wrong, but I hid it. Well, that was exhilarating. That was fun. I mean, when you're seven or eight years old, you're like, I can't believe I just got away with that. And so I went up again later that afternoon, and I took one more. And then I went the next day, and I came back, and I took more. I took a couple, and then I kept coming back over and over and over, day after day after day, until I had a pile of my own. It was hidden in my room. I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, I was like, man, like, I'm rich, right? Probably had $8, right? I was like, I've never had this much money, which is funny, because I also got an allowance. So I have this pile, and I'm hiding it. I'm keeping it secret. I'm not even kidding. 10 days goes by, maybe 14 days, so two weeks or something like that. I'm laying in bed. It's 9 or 9.30 at night, and the guilt overtakes me. I mean, just all of you are like, okay, thank the Lord. Our pastor has a conscience. I'm laying in bed going, I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. I'm a thief. Like, I, I took this. It wasn't mine. Like, on the outside, you know, what I thought was perceived, or even as I looked at my life, like, I'm a success. I have this. I've built this. I, I have money. On the inside, I was dying. I mean, dying, the shame was just overtaking. And so I remember 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. Now this is just funny as a parent trying to picture this, what this must have been like through their eyes. I grab all of it, right? I don't know if I put it in a sock or if I just loaded it up. And I walk up the stairs and my parents are both sitting in the room. Uh, Everybody else is in bed and I kind of just spill it out and I just bawl. I just weep right in front of him. I fess up to the whole thing. I go, I'm so sorry. And I just lay it all out. I don't even think they punished me. 
I mean, I, I bet you today, like, if it happened again or if I asked them, they'd be like, we were just holding in our laughter. How funny that was. Like, we didn't even have to parent. You parented yourself. Like, just laid it all down. I went back to bed, and it was like, I tell you what, I never stole after that day. I never stole. Every time I looked at something like this, like a cash box, or if I looked at it, was like, nope, not today, Satan, not today. Nope, that was awful. That was horrible. It took me back to this place of like deep woundedness because of, because of how broken I actually felt over taking something even today, looking back so simple. Here's why I bring this up. Isn't it funny how much the external presentation of our lives has a relationship with the internal reality? And when they're not congruent, when they're not the same, when they are not in line with one another, I think oftentimes it leads to a crisis inside of all of us that drives us to do a variety of different things. Some of us, it drives us to maintain the lie, maintain the facade, maintain the standard, whatever it is, like just maintain. Don't ever get found out. Don't ever get busted. Don't ever own up to it. Don't ever do anything. Others of us, it's like the gap just seems like it widens and widens and widens and widens. And we're forced to choose, like, are you, are you gonna shoot or try to be a public success at the ex expense of your private reality or vice versa? Do you sacrifice and do you lay it down and do you change people's perception of you to actually be real and healthy and a success on the inside? That whole dynamic at play is called character. I think all of us, like if we have a temptation, it would be to describe our lives by our circumstances, but in actuality, our character will define our lives. There's a difference here. There's a juxtaposition between the two. So often we look at circumstances. How do I control circumstances? Or how do I dictate a certain level of perception? Or how people see me? How people perceive me? How, how people measure me based on others? We often try to describe our lives based on circumstances when in actuality our lives will be defined by the character that we have inside, whether or not it is seen in the moment or later so as we think about the story that we're in right now, we're in this, the, tracking through the life of Joseph. And Joseph was a young boy. He was 17 years old, and he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Sold into slavery, sold to these merchant traders. They carry him off into Egypt. He gets sold at a slave auction, and a man named Potiphar buys him. Potiphar is like the captain of the guard, or he's the chief of police for Pharaoh, right? Like head of secret service, you could say. So he's a powerful man, but he purchases Joseph. And what we're about to see in the life of Joseph is the true character that actually exists within him. The true character that when tested, what actually shows up or when pushed actually prevails. What we will see throughout this story is the character that God is intent at developing even at the expense of the external perceptions that Joseph weighed, that Joseph thought through, that Joseph struggled with, that many of us struggle with today. God has a unique way of developing our character through sometimes difficult or challenging or trying circumstances, but we have to remember too, and we'll see this in the story, that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God is trying to do something even if we can't understand it in the moment. So check this out. This is Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse two. It says this, the Lord was with Joseph. I just want you to say that with me. The Lord was 
He was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, there it is again, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Do you see how many times it is reiterating, the Lord is with Joseph, the Lord is with him, the Lord is present, the Lord is near, the Lord is with him. It says it over and over and over again. And the reason the author says this so many times is because Joseph's life is seemingly about to fall apart again. And what you need to hear and what I need to hear and what we all need to be reminded of is that despite the circumstances that are about to unfold, the Lord is with Joseph. So let's keep reading. Here's what happens. Starting in verse six. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has entrusted, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Let me change your perspective of this story just slightly. Hello, the cash box is open. Nobody's around. Come on over. Here it is, right? I mean, you can imagine, like, jingle, like, hey, here it is. All you gotta do is say yes. All you gotta do is have one lapse of judgment, one off day, one bad thing, whatever it is. The opportunity is right there. All you gotta do is say yes, Joseph. This happened day after day after day after day after day. Some scholars have written, this might have even taken place for up to 11 years. So imagine Joseph, right? He's a slave in this household. He knows the Lord is with him. There's something that has happened in the life of Joseph in private, behind the scenes that nobody else sees that has shaped his character in a way that dictates his decisions. So he goes, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not interested in that. I'm not throwing my life away for that. No, like it, it looks appealing in the moment, but no, I'm not interested because there's something that Joseph has deep down that God has developed and it is called character. See, Joseph, I really believe that he had this desire. He's going, I, I could define, or I, I could describe my life based on circumstances right here. I, I could let this go to my head. I could think I'm an attractive guy and get the attention of an attractive woman. And, and I, could, I could fulfill something in me that needs to be wanted or needs to be expressed or whatever that is. Joseph had the opportunity to go a specific direction and he falls back on this thing called character. He says, no, 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 like I, I, I see what's buried underneath that. I see what's underneath. I see the temptation that is at play here. The temptation isn't for sex, not for Joseph. The temptation is to turn his back on God and to take matters into his own hands for once. That's his temptation. What's your cash box? What, what are you looking at right now that's really shiny? It looks really good, really tempting. There, there's a chance that's like, man, if you just do this, if you lean in, there, maybe there's a relationship in your life and you go, I'm telling you, all I have to do is say yes and we're there. Maybe it's something at work where you go, I, I have the opportunity right now just to cut a little corner. 
overcharged something, nobody would know. Nobody would feel it. No, nobody would ever accuse me of it. It wouldn't even be considered wrong. I could just squeeze right in. What if, what if it's something else in your life where it's like, ah, I could, I, I could portray this and it may not actually be accurate. It may not actually be true, but it might help me get what I want. And then if I own it afterwards, I can get the benefits of it and still fall back. I mean, what, what is it in your life right now that you're tempted to just shortchange? Just take sticky fingers that just ends up like, I don't know how I got here, but I just, I got here. Maybe it's cheating something. Maybe you have a test coming up. Maybe it's classmates. Maybe it's debt. Maybe you're like, I can't actually afford this, but I'm just going to wing it right now. I'm just going to push. Just a, I, I'm just asking you, what, what's the thing that is actually tempting your character right now? What's the thing that you are so tempted just to step in and, and say yes? So here's what happens with Joseph. Let's keep reading. Genesis 39, verse 11, it says this. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. He's just doing his job. And none of the household servants was inside or were inside. I don't know. That's how it's written. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. I don't actually think she said that like that. I, I think she said, come to bed with me. I'm your boss. I can tell you what to do. Come to bed with me right now. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. This is the second time Joseph has had his cloak taken from him. The first time was when his brothers stripped off his cloak, his, his radiant, you know, multicolor coat that his father had made for him. They stripped his coat, and it, it basically means this outer cloak or outer garment means stripped him down to his underwear. So now this happened a second time, but now he's in a much more compromising situation because she's accusing him of basically attempting to rape her, and he runs out of the house in his underwear. And what do you think the perception is from everyone around Man, he's in trouble. Let's keep reading. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. We, we don't know exactly why he burned with anger. Maybe it was because he believed the story that she said. Maybe it was because he didn't. But he burned with anger so Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Do you know what Joseph should have anticipated in this moment after being caught in his underwear, accused of such a thing? Do you know what his intended consequence would have been? Death. There's no trial. There's no justice system. Not when you're a slave. No, I mean, it's just, it's over. Potiphar could have come in and just, you're done. But what's interesting, right? Potiphar, he's the chief of police. He's the captain of the guard. He's the head of the secret service. He takes him and he puts him in a prison that is confined where only Pharaoh's prisoners reside. Joseph dodges this bullet. And here he is and he's sitting in prison. He's at the bottom and this guy has had it. 
I mean, it's been thing after thing, rejected by his brothers, thrown into this pit, then dragged out, sold into slavery, humiliated in front of his family, sold like cattle at an auction, bought by Potiphar, brought into this house. He endured the criticism or he endured whatever it is that the other slaves said, like, just do it, man, get it over with already. He endured whatever the perception was. And now the accusation, the unjust accusation and unfair imprisonment, here is his life. He just keeps falling down the stairs like a slinky. And it's like he can't catch a break. And you can imagine him sitting down in the bottom of the cell asking this question. It's the same question that you and I would ask. God, why would you let that happen to me? We can't even find something in this part of the story that Joseph did wrong. You ever ask that question? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything to get here. I didn't do anything to earn or deserve or, or like nothing of this makes sense. And let me remind you what it said at the beginning of the text. The Lord was with Joseph. I mean, he's human just like any of us. I, here's what I would ask. If you're with me, then why does this happen? And I think it's because so often we're trying to describe the circumstances of our life and attach it to ourselves. But you look at Joseph's in the pit, possibly literally. And what God's focused on and his intent is directed towards is the development of something deeper. It is to define Joseph's life by his character. See, character is who you are. That's just, it's just that. It's who you are. It's not your morals. It's not what you believe. Right? Character is who you are. When you have nothing to gain and everything to lose, what do you do? Joseph is sitting there and he decided, he made this decision, I'm gonna stick to my guns. I'm gonna honor God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live a life of character so as to define it. They could have killed Joseph right there and his legacy would have been this. You know, the guy did the right thing. I think people saw or knew or saw the opportunity that Joseph had with Potiphar's wife. I think they could draw their own conclusions, but even if they didn't, it'd be like, man, aside from that, Joseph just seemed like a man of integrity. He just seemed like a man of character. What's funny to me is I think some of the deepest-seated woundedness, brokenness, anger, frustration, negative emotions, dysfunctional behavior, I think most of that comes out when we are in the pit. I don't think a lot of that comes out at the top. I just don't. I think when we're at our worst, we begin to see what God has seen the entire time. What's funny, we're, we're in this transition right now, Brian and I here at Frontline. Brian is stepping in to be the senior pastor of the Zero Collective, which is a group of churches here in West Michigan. And I'm stepping in to be the lead pastor here at Frontline. And we're in this transition process. And uh, in fact, I had a friend, he's a pastor friend, and he goes, I don't envy you. And I was like, what do you mean? This was at the beginning. And now I know what he means to, to walk through this process step by step by step by step by step with my predecessor with me through the process. I tell you what, character-wise, I have learned a whole lot about David that I didn't know about David before this transition. And it's not a bunch of positive, happy, feel-good stuff. What's funny is that I've been surprised at the amount of negative emotions or anger or pride or entitlement or, or frustration, all this stuff that's actually been buried deep inside of David is starting to come out in a variety of different 
ways. And you know what's so funny about having a boss like Brian is he walks with me every step of the way. It's been difficult, it's been hard, it's been trying, there's been surprises along the way. But it's, as I read this story about Joseph, when it says the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, I look at my own story and I go, that's funny, Brian has been with me through this, processing, digging deeper, moving up, because there's implications of our character that leave a legacy rather than what we often go after is to describe our circumstances as part of our identity. I just want to ask you, right? Put God in the driver's seat. What would he steer towards for your character in your life right now? Stuff may be going well, stuff may be going not well, but if you put God in the driver's seat, what direction does he start steering towards to develop a deeper layer of intimacy and trust and relationship with him to actually define your character. What direction would he go? I want to remind you of the same thing that Joseph was reminded of, the same thing that I'm reminded of. It's this, the Lord's with you on the process. The Lord's with you every step of the way. So let's look what happens. I mean, Joseph is in prison now. He's sitting there falsely accused. He doesn't know what his future entails, but it says this, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. I don't know about you, that just rubs me the wrong way. It's like, Lord, why don't you be with him at the top? Why don't you just move him out of there? Why don't you just open the gates? You did it with Paul in the New Testament. Open the gate, let him walk, send him back to his family. Like, rewrite the story, God, get through it quick. Isn't it true, though, that character takes a process? It takes time, it takes hardship, it takes obscurity, it takes a whole lot of unknown things with unknown outcomes, and where we have to sit in it is where that character is actually defined. But it says the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Some scholars even suggest the prison warden might have even been Potiphar. Might have been somebody he appointed, but you think about what Potiphar's role was, there was a close relationship there at the least. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Are you catching the theme? The Lord was with Joseph. That original word with, it's a weird one to pick, but it's important. The word with describes companionship or proximity. It doesn't just mean, oh, I'm with you. You're my thoughts and prayers, right? You sick of hearing that? Thoughts and prayers. The Lord was with Joseph. The way the word is written means the Lord was sitting right next to him. He's right there. He's proximate. He's close. He's not far. And in fact, it's like a companionship. It's not I'm just with you to, to babysit. Or to watch, like one of the wardens he's getting used to dealing with. No, no, the Lord is like, I'm with you as a friend, as a buddy, as a confidant, as a coach, as a father. Like, I am with you, Joseph. And I think Joseph knew it. 
I think he felt it. Because this bottom was becoming such a recurring place of attendance for Joseph. And yet here the Lord is yet again. He's with him. Let me say this just so we can be super clear. Circumstances may describe your life, but your character will define it. And Joseph is the poster child for this. That his circumstances describe his life as awful, unjust, unfair, just broken, off. Like, like most of us, we read the story and we go, I love the story, if you know how the story ends. I love the story. I would just never want to be Joseph for the first like 30 years of his life. We often try to describe our lives by our circumstances, but the character that Joseph was after, the same character that we should be after, the same character that God is after, will actually end up defining our lives, defining our legacy, defining what we leave behind someday, how those will talk about us, how those will remember us, the impact that we are able to make. It will be defined by our character, not, man, they were super wealthy, Man, they held this super high position of power. Man, they never needed something or anything from anybody. They, they were just somebody I always looked up to. Isn't it funny that, that even after people die, often what comes out that taints the perception of that person are the lapses in their character. Your character will define your life. That's why God cares about it so much. Here's a quote by a man named Charles Spurgeon pastor and author and writer, and he just says this, I love it so much. He goes, externally, it did not always appear that God was with him. Duh. We see that. He's describing Joseph, the character of Joseph in the Bible. Externally, it did not always appear that God was with him, for he did not always seem to be a prosperous man. Somebody say amen. Man, you look on the outside, you go, his life is awful. Horrible. Was he prosperous? No. But when you come to look into the inmost soul of this servant of God, you see his true likeness. He lived in communion with the Most High, and God blessed him. You could even say it this way. God defined him. By his character, which emanated, which came out of their closeness, their proximity, their relationship. The parallels of this story between Joseph and Jesus are endless. Like we said last week, the whole purpose of this narrative of Joseph isn't to say, look at us, we're just like Joseph. We're going through life just like him. And so there's hope because at some point, Joseph was just exalted to this incredible place of power and authority. So if you follow God, then someday that'll happen to you. That's not at all what this sermon is about or the story is about at all. The, the character of Joseph is intended to point us to the person of Jesus. What's interesting, right? I mean, Joseph, his cloak, his outer garment was stripped from him when he was sold and shackled and taken away. The exact same thing happened to Jesus when he was heading towards the cross. His outer garments were taken and they were auctioned off, right, among a bunch of Roman guards. Both of them were silent as they were hauled away. Both of them, the intended outcome of their lives was death. 
Joseph should have been put to death from the accusation. Jesus was put to death because of the accusations. Both of them have a redemptive part of their story. If you read the rest of Joseph, which we'll do the next couple weeks, you will see how God raised up Joseph in a mighty and powerful and redeeming way that had an impact that led towards the saving of millions of people that could only be ascribed to God himself. And you look at Jesus, the exact same thing happened. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies on the cross. He gets buried in a tomb and three days later, he comes back to life to make an impact on and save the lives of millions or billions of people from that point on. God is the great dream redeemer. The great dream redeemer. I don't know what this represents to you. Maybe you've taken the cash, maybe you have it, maybe you're in a circumstance that you didn't try to get into. Maybe you feel like your life is death right now, you're imprisoned by something, you're bound by something, you're frustrated by something, you feel like how everybody sees me on the outside is a failure, I feel like a failure on the inside. The good news I have for you is that Jesus is the great dream redeemer. If he can do it for Joseph, he can do it for you. So here's just what I want to tell you. Don't, don't let Satan get a win here and think that as you leave, you, your life will forever be defined by whatever failure you bring or, or whatever diagnosis you've received or whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe it's with your marriage. Maybe it's with your body. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe it's with your finances. Do not leave this place ascribing your life to the circumstances. Leave this place with hope that in the worst of circumstances, you can sit in the pit just like many did before you. One of them, his name is Joseph, who sat in the pit, who sat in prison, falsely accused by himself, disowned by his family, rejected by those closest to him. He sat in the pit and the Lord said, I'm right there with you. And I can redeem even this. God is the great dream redeemer. As I think about all of you that are watching right now, all of you that, that are here in person right now, I can't help but wonder what dream you're ready to just let go of and let die. That God is saying, not yet. Not yet. When God's the great dream redeemer, he can take the dead things in your life and make them alive. He can use them to define your life as long as your proximity is close to him. So last question, what area of your life do you need to invite God into? I can't help but think Joseph is sitting in the pit, he's sitting in prison and he has this opportunity. Do I wanna invite God to sit next to me or do I just tell him to leave me alone? Man, the number of times I've said, I'm fine. I'd rather wallow. I'm reading into it maybe a little much, but I, I don't think it's too far. I think Joseph invited God into the cell. So I just want to ask you, what, what area do you need to invite God into? It's probably not the area where you're at the top, but the good news is character is often developed at the bottom. So what area do you need to invite God into as the great dream redeemer and trust it and put your life, put your circumstance, put your brokenness, put your sin, put your relationship in his hands because he is the great dream redeemer.
Let's pray together. God, we just come before you just right now. We know that we are so powerless to fix our circumstances. We know that we are powerless to get ourselves out of whatever cell we find ourselves in. We're powerless to even free us from the shame or the guilt or the brokenness that often defines us when we're in the pit. But I just pray, God, just through your Holy Spirit, that you would give hope to this room, that you'd give inspiration to this room, that you'd give peace to this room, that you'd give hope to this room, that you can step into the cell, you can step into the brokenness, you can step in, even if we've done what we think is too much, you say not happening, not true. Invite me in and I can revive you. I can bring you back. I can redeem this story for my purposes and for my glory. Holy Spirit, would you just stir and move and change and convict and call us to yourself. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' powerful and mighty name and all God's people said together. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.